the screen, but I would really encourage you to um, think about bringing your Bible along, all right, um, to, to church with you every week. Don't feel guilty for not doing it today, um, but don't let it happen again. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know me, that was a joke, and I do bad jokes a lot. So, um, do you ever ask yourself why you come to church, um, why you're here this morning? Um, and what do you want out of today as well? And it's fascinating that we actually come to church for all sorts of different reasons. And we come, some of us, out of duty or because we've been invited by a friend. Um, some of us because we think it's the right thing to do, because we want to, to meet people. Um, and, and maybe we come with a specific need. We want to encounter Jesus because there's something going on in our lives. We think, I need him. I, I want to experience some of God in my life right now. And um, so we come with an expectation. Maybe I would just encourage you to think, do you have an expectation this morning that, that God actually wants to speak to you, that, that he wants to, you to encounter him this morning, that that might be one of the reasons why we're here? And so I'm going to talk about a story today where there are lots of people in it, and they, they're, they're hanging out and around Jesus They've heard about this radical rabbi, a miracle worker, a preacher, somebody that's upset uh, a lot of the um, traditions around them, and they're there probably for lots of different reasons. And so Jesus, um, we're going to talk about the parable of the sower and the seed. Jesus tells a specific story, um, and he tells it to a specific group of people. It's placed within the context of many other things that Jesus taught, but... Um, it's also at a time when Jesus, his ministry is quite popular because he is the miracle worker. He is a crowd gatherer, and we know that a crowd gathers a crowd. And so there are very different reasons why people are there. And so we get a little hints, uh, more than hints, maybe even in, in Matthew 13, that when Jesus starts to tell stories and parables, that he is actually wanting to tell stories to people who are really listening. So maybe we could listen uh, today too. But if you have a Bible, um, and the problem is, I'm going to tell you all you should have a Bible here, and I'm, and I'm not going to use mine the whole time. I can't really multitask is part of the reason. But um, let's start by opening the Bible. And I want to read to you, just before this particular story, um, something, a few other things have happened. And one of those things is that John the Baptist had come and he had told people that the Messiah was coming. And then John ends up in prison and Jesus has started his earthly ministry. And so this Messiah, this uh, king that was going to come, that was going to rescue the, the people uh, of Israel from slavery and oppression, John is sitting in prison thinking, is this... Is this really the one? So he sends some of his disciples and they go to Jesus and they said, look, John wants to know, are you, are you the one? And, and so we read this uh, in Matthew 11 from verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. So we get this lovely little snapshot of, of, of what the kingdom of God looks like. The people get healed, the people get set free, 
that good news comes to those who are poor and uh, oppressed. And so Jesus taught about this kingdom, one that turns the world systems upside down. It's not just good news for the religious elite or for the rich or the, for the powerful. True good news in our society and any society is only really good news if it's good news for the poor. Because if it's good news for the poor, it's probably going to affect everyone. It needs to be good news for the poor, the lonely, and the broken. And Jesus actually embodies, he lives out this good news. If we want to, to know what the kingdom of God looks like, which is one of the things that we're talking about in our advanced series, we look at Jesus, and in Jesus we go, that's what it looks like. The rule and reign of God as it is in heaven come to earth in a person looks like Jesus. And Jesus tells a number of, of good news kingdom parables to explain this. He doesn't go and, and lay out a, a new social or economic system. He doesn't start to draw out big plans of like, here's we're gonna, how we're going to change towns and how people are going to relate to each other. He doesn't do this sort of governmental things that we would think of if we wanted to create a society. He tells stories, and in those stories are the keys of the kingdom. And Jesus will always do things differently from the way that we would do them. So if you have a Bible, you can follow on, but you can follow on on the screen. I'm going to read from the screen. Otherwise, I'll not click it on at the right point, okay? Quite a long story. Most of you will know it. Some of you won't, but let's follow it and see what um, it says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Do you ever wonder, like, the disciples see these big massive crowds and they probably have an expectation that something's going to happen, that we're going to, that revolution's going to break out, that we're going to change the world. And then Jesus tells stories that nobody understands. And they think, like, that's just stupid. Why would you, when you have a crowd, tell them stories that people, nobody understands? What, what use is that? What good is that? But it, it is some good if you're actually not trying to talk to everybody that's in the room, if you're only really trying to talk to people who are really listening. But anyway, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Understand. 
listen to what the parable of the sower means. So we've jumped a few verses, if you're following along in your Bible. Okay, we're on 18. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. There's a nice wee picture for you. It's one for the visual learners. Um, sorry, well, well, I, that shouldn't have come out sarcastic. So <laughs> that was a genuine concern for the visual learners. Okay. I'm one of them. So um, sometimes we've reduced this parable to an explanation of, of why people turn down the invitation to salvation. And it's not completely wrong to do that. But it does reduce the meaning, and we, we miss a lot of the depth if we do. So let's look at the passage. Um, at the start of it, the very first words are that same day. And what we do is because we compartmentalize the Bible and chop it up into little different bits and pieces, or because we get a kid's storybook and we read that story in isolation, we don't read things like that same day and, went and kind of go, well, what happened that same day? You know? Um, so what that same day... Jesus was doing lots of other things, uh, and he had cast out um, a, a demon from somebody, and he got into trouble for doing that um, with the religious authorities, uh, and they were now after him, pl plotting to kill him, so he had come against the religious authority of the day. That same day, um, somebody had said, your family's here, and Jesus had said, who is my family? Who are my brothers and sisters? All the people who are here, these are my brothers and sisters, so he had come against the, the power of the family unit and its power within that society of the day. He come against lots of other things because he was trying to show a different way, the way of the kingdom. Uh, and then he opens up the kingdom of his father to all the people gathered to hear him, regardless of who they are or where they're from. The kingdom is available to all, but not all will receive it. Not all will enter into it fully. Not all will count the cost of the kingdom and decide that it's worth it. So the crowd is, is big and Jesus is preaching on a boat. And many people who have traveled to that particular spot in Israel will tell you that if you were just slightly out of the shore on a boat, it would create a natural amphitheater so that loads and loads of people could hear. Um, and so when Jesus talks... When Jesus looks at the crowd and he talks about the sower sowing seed into different types of ground, he's actually talking about himself as the sower, the seed of the kingdom being his words in particular at this particular point. Um, and the ground is the people in his audience. So effectively, Jesus, like me standing here with you as the audience, and I'm throwing out kingdom seed. And some of you are like hard ground 
Some of you have got weeds in your life. Some of you have got rocks in your life. And some of you are good soil, okay, that the seed is going to land on. Um, and the problem is that you're all now thinking, which one am I? Um, which one does Chris think that I am? And, and again, if we, if we have that thinking in our head, we'll probably miss a, a bit of what's really going on here. But Jesus is looking at his audience, and he's kind of saying, you know, the kingdom seed, when you talk about the kingdom of God, it bounces off some people. It's like throwing a seed on, on rocky, hard ground. It just bounces back. But seeds are amazing little things. If I was to take an apple and cut it in, in half and take the, the seed out of that apple, that little seed, I meant to bring an apple, but I don't normally bring an apple to church, and so I forgot. But um, that little seed has all the instructions in it that it needs to create an apple tree. Like, that is just amazing. So contained within it are the instructions that it needs to, and it will decide that when it's in a certain environment, in soil, um, affected by water, that it will start to germinate. And it will start to put roots down in the ground. It will react with the circumstances around it. It will grow down, and then it will grow up. It will grow into a sapling, and then it will grow um, into a small tree. It will get branches. It will get leaves. It will get blossom. Then it will grow um, apples. And at the right time, you'll be able to get a harvest from that, all contained within a seed. And that one seed could produce hundreds of apples for decades and decades, all from one little seed. The crop that we're talking about today in this particular parable is wheat. And one grain of wheat can produce eight or more heads with 40 seeds per head. Okay, so one grain of wheat can produce a huge amount of harvest. And wheat is a good metaphor for the kingdom because it's an annual crop. There are continual seasons of sowing, growing, and reaping. That happens on a regular basis. And we have the opportunity to experience, if we will open our hearts to the continual sowing of the, the kingdom seed in our lives, we will experience fruitfulness again and again and again. It always saddens me when I see Christians who have stopped growing, who are no longer fruitful. You see, religion has sold us a lie that there is a point in which we can coast along in our Christian lives. This is actually the false gospel of behavior modification. Let's just name it for what it is. It's toxic. I've been a Christian for years. I've landed. I, I've done that. I've served my time. What you're effectively saying is, I can modify my behavior in public enough that it looks like I'm doing good. You know, that's what, that's what we can reduce the gospel to. And we should never get to that point in our lives because the one constant of the kingdom is change. Always changing, always developing, always growing, always being transformed. Because guess what? There's always mess in, inside of here. There is. There's always mess in your heart, in your life. There's always mess in mine. But we need to realize that that we get sold the lie of behavior from modification and we replace it with true transformation. So the seed in this story is the kingdom, but what does that mean? Jesus in his teachings is planting the ideas, the concepts, the values, the practical actions of something real. It looks like something. 
it looks like someone, as I said earlier, when we think about the kingdom, we need to think about Jesus. We need to go, the fruitfulness of the kingdom looks like the kind of person that Jesus is. And we need to ask ourselves, is that what I want in my life? The kingdom is the effective rule and reign of God on the earth, but more than that, it is the rule and reign of King Jesus in your life and your heart. It's not this general thing necessarily, although we'll talk about that next week. But for today, let's talk about the rule and reign of Jesus in you, in your heart, and in your life. Let's believe that Jesus is continually sowing into our lives things that will take root and grow and produce fruit. So the picture is of a field, and there's hard soil. So effectively, paths in any field. So particularly in those days, a a field will have hard paths on it, and it will have hard paths or tracks or runs on it because you have to walk up and down a field in order to sow seed. And so those paths would have become compacted over time. And so the sowing action of somebody who's sowing loads and loads of seed would naturally cause some of the seed to fall on those paths. But the sower that has to sow thousands upon thousands of seeds is not going to go, oh, flip, there's one on that better path. I must pick that up and put it somewhere else. Um, but this parable tells us that the birds of the air love that. That's great. They can swoop down and take that seed that's on the path before it has a chance to get into the soil and germinate and grow something. And unfortunately for some of us in our lives, that's what happens. It's God sows a seed and, and so for some people, that the, the, their entire life is hard to that seed, and they will reject God completely. But for other people, God will sow a seed into a specific area of your life that's too hard for him to get in, and that seed will bounce off. And we'll get back to that in a wee minute. So the next one is rocky areas. Rocky areas, it says in the parable, that, that they make it difficult for the seed to put down deep roots. And then, as the parable describes, the sun comes up, Life circumstances happen and scorch the plant because its roots can't go down deep enough. Deep enough for what? Particularly in that culture, the roots can't go deep enough for moisture. They can't go deep enough to embed down. Uh, A wise person once said, if you look at a tree, it's as big below the ground as it is above the ground, that its root structure will extend out for it to get all the nutrients that it needs from the earth to be able to grow. Um, But... Rocks and rocky areas. Uh, It talks about trouble and persecution come along and the plant fails. Life, as we know, brings trouble and exposes the rocks in our life, the internal mess that prevents the work of God from going deeper. So rocky areas in our lives represent shallow areas where the kingdom transformation of our lives can't really take place because there's other stuff already there. So rocks in fields are a very strange thing, okay? A farmer could plow a field, get some people to come along, pick all the rocks out, and the next year there would be what in the field? Have a guess. We're talking about rocks. What's going to be in the... More rocks. Why were there more rocks in the field? While he went away, somebody came with loads of rocks and thought this would be hilarious. Uh, And it's actually a natural phenomenon, right? And I thought there's bound to be a really cool name for that natural phenomenon that's going to sound like really good. So 
I couldn't find one. Um, the best I could find is in North America, they call them New England potatoes um, because they, they appear about the size of potatoes, rocks all over a field. So I thought, Flip, you know, it really needs a really cool name. So I invented one. I just made up a word. So the, the word for this, when rocks appear in fields all of the time, I, I'm sorry, before I tell you this amazing word, the reason why it happens is because um, rocks conduct uh, heat in a different way to soil. They're better conductors of heat than soil. And so as the soil cools, the rocks are not as cool. And so it creates this, this motion. And particularly in countries where it's really cold, huge, huge rocks can actually move uh, loads of vast distances through the earth over time. So my word is transteramorphosis. Okay? Trans to transform terra, uh, you know, as in land morphosis, you know, like that's good, isn't it? Trans terramorphosis. I mean, I could have just told you that that actually was the word and you would have believed it. Thank you. Just uh, put a wee application in the Oxford Dictionary for me. But, um, but, you know, in our lives, have you ever found that, that you think you've dealt with something in your life? You think, oh, well, God dealt with that, and that's great. I'm sorted now. I feel great. I feel wonderful. And, like, by, by next year, this new rock has appeared. And you go, well, where did that come from? Like, why did I not know that that was there? Why is this now such a big issue in my life and in my heart? Why am I struggling? The rock was there all of the time. So the next one is the weeds. And these are things that weeds, again, is it, if you've ever weeded your garden and you get all the weeds out, what happens next year? The weeds are there again. Why are they there again? Somebody hid them on you. No, well, there's lots of different reasons. They blow in in the wind. Birds drop them. Um, and there's lots of ways that weeds get in, but they do get in. They blow into our lives. And when weeds get in amongst good, healthy things, they will suck up all the nutrients from the ground. They will strangle the good things that are there. So your life, your life is like a field. Sometimes we ask, what kind of soil am I? Am I the hard soil? Am I the rocky soil? Am I the, this soil? Am I that soil? And that has some merit. But I would like to suggest to you today that our life looks like a field. That your life looks like a field. And in your life right now, there are areas which are really great. They're fertile. There's no rocks. There's no weeds. Jesus, come and plant some seed right there and grow some stuff in my life and fruitfulness will come from it. That's amazing. But I would also like to suggest that there are some areas in your life that are rock hard. And God wants to move in that area. He wants to change that area. But it's rock hard right now. It's unresponsive to what God wants to do. Um, and over time, a field will change. There will be areas that were really fruitful at one stage and now are not. There will be areas that had no rocks in them. And then as you know, because of transmorphosis, you know, those rocks will appear. And we need to allow Jesus to come and continually turn the soil and work the soil in our lives so that the kingdom seed can be fruitful in us. Um... A guy called Charles Finney had a, had a great kind of metaphor for this in the 19th century, and he talked about breaking up the fallow ground, okay? 
So fallow ground is land that hasn't been worked over a period of time, and it becomes compacted, clumped, and hardened, and it needs to be freshly plowed and turned so that it is receptive to seed and can produce good crops. So fallow ground is ground. This is what Finney says, okay? It's ground which was once tilled, but it's gotten hard and now lies waste. It needs to be broken up and made soft again before it is ready to receive seed. If you mean to break up the fallow ground of your heart, you must begin by looking at your heart. Examine carefully the state of your mind and see where you are. Many people never even seem to think about doing this. They pay no attention to their own hearts and never know whether they're doing well in their walk with the Lord or not, whether they are bearing fruit or are totally barren. Now we must draw your attention from all other things and look into this right now. Make a business of it. Do not be in a hurry. I did laugh a little bit that he says, we must draw your attention to this right now. Don't be in a hurry. But I think we can keep those two things. We can work that, that, that little phrase together because it's important to look at it right now, but to do it well, you can't be in a hurry. You can't just think, oh, let's do a wee, uh, review of my life and see what weeds are there. <sighs> Get that done in um, social media time, a couple of minutes, and, and we move on. This is something that we have to continually do, is allow Jesus to work in our heart to see where the weeds are, see what's being blown in. Because I've met people over the years who were once sold out for Jesus, but the worries of this world or the deceitfulness of wealth have crept in over time, and they haven't really noticed or even deliberately cultivated some things in their lives. If you ever, if you're really bad gardener, a bit like me, something starts growing in your garden and you think, brilliant, look at this, it's wonderful. And over time it grows and grows. You think, this has grown really well, really quickly. But you're not really sure where it came from. You're not really sure what it is. And at some stage you realize that it's a weed or somebody else really helpfully tells you, that's a lovely weed you have there and you thought it's a lovely I thought that was a nice plant or a flower. I was about to put that in a pot and give it to somebody as a gift. Um, and it's interesting how things develop in our lives and we don't quite realize that they're a weed until maybe it becomes a real problem. And the thing about weeds is they like to replicate themselves all over the place. There's bound to be a few people in here who have cultivated something in their garden and eventually realized it was a weed. Like, come on, own up. Um, and so, you know, there are really practical, important, good things in life. For example, earning money, being paid appropriately for your job. But it talks about in this passage the deceitfulness of wealth. So it's not that having this money is wrong within itself, but something happens in people's hearts when it comes to this kind of stuff that makes it toxic to them. There's a very uh, interesting story in the Bible called... Um, the story of the rich young ruler, and it's about this guy. This is, is actually further on in Matthew uh, in Matthew 19. Um, I'll stick it up on the screen here, and then I'll um, here. Oh. It's about this guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, "What good thing can I do to um, gain eternal life?" And the, and Jesus said, 
Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one thing that is good. If you, if you want to enter it, life, keep the commandments. And this guy says, which ones? And so he says, look, I've done all these. I've kept all these commandments. What do I still lack? And in verse 21, we see that Jesus answers, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he had much wealth. Now, the disciples don't really get this because, you see, to them, in their society, in their culture of the day, to be wealthy is to receive the blessing of God. And so they actually kind of go like, Jesus, it's hard for someone to enter the, king, the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, what's going on? And so he says in 24, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So a guy comes and he says to Jesus, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you need to sell all your stuff. And do you know what? If you didn't have very much money, Jesus wouldn't uh, uh, tell you to do that. This is not the thing to do if you want eternal life, sell all your stuff. What Jesus was saying is that there's a problem with you in your heart, is that what you have cultivated in your life, what you're feeding, what you're growing, what you're, you're focused on is wealth. And so Jesus pointed to his problem and to his pain. And, you know, we will find very often that Jesus points to our problem, our pain, the thing that has filled our heart it won't necessarily be wealth. Because at the end of this, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It wasn't possible for the rich man to get to heaven by his own behavior modification, fundamentally. It was only possible because of what Jesus would do in someone's heart. So, we are a field. And in that field, there's rocky places, there's places that have weeds, there's places that have a mess, or they're messy. And we want to invite Jesus to come and bring change and transformation. And he will come and do that. He will work in the mess in our lives. And the more we realize that, we can find ourselves in a place where we're like, God, my life really is a mess. It's full of rocks. It's full of weeds. How can I ever do anything for you? How can I even live for you? It's too much work. But you know that that's kind of true and it's kind of not. And if we understand this parable maybe in a wrong way we'll never do anything for God we'll never do anything for Jesus because there will always be more rocks that appear and there will always be more weeds that blow in to our lives there'll always be places that we realize are quite hard to what Jesus wants to do and so just as a little encouragement I want us to think about this for a few seconds it's from Henry Nyan and he says Nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we can become 
wounded healers. So if you wait to get your life sorted out in order to do stuff with, for Jesus, you'll have to do it in heaven, okay? You just won't get there. But if you realize actually that as Jesus war, walks through the mess in your life and as he brings you healing and as you work through stuff and as fruitfulness develops in your life, where you have experienced fruitfulness can be the key to somebody else's breakthrough. If you've walked a journey or walk a path, you can help somebody else to walk that journey and walk that path. That the work of Jesus in bringing about his kingdom in our lives is continual. But we are called to go and bring transformation in other people's lives too. I'm a work in progress, but I submit to what God is doing so that I can progress, but also so I can be involved in his mission to bring the kingdom of God to those that don't yet know him. There's some fruit and there's some harvest, and there will always be some areas of barrenness. And so here's my question as I'm finishing to you. What does your field look like? What does your life look like right now? If you were to visualize for all our visual learners, the field of your life. And you were to kind of go, well, where am I hardened to God moving? Maybe it's an area of unforgiveness. Maybe it's an area of disappointment where you kind of think, God, I don't want to go there again. And you've hardened your heart to the kingdom seed, bringing change and transformation. Maybe there are things in your life, worries, concerns, cares, you find yourself bound up by the things that have taken hold of you and you can't move, you're stuck you feel like you can't go forward and you can't go back. But God wants to come and do something about that. Maybe you find yourself concerned about th things in life, fearful, trapped. God wants to bring transformation to you. Because he wants to bring fruitfulness into your life. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul says about that, this in, in Philippians 1. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, or we could say the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. And, and if we think as well in Galatians, the way Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit, we could say, uh, in other words, it could be the harvest of the Spirit. If God has planted kingdom seed in us, the fruitfulness looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The thing about those is they're wonderful in your life, but they taste really good to everybody else too. So if we want to see our communities change and transformed, if we want to see our families change and transform, we've got to let the kingdom seed produce good fruit in us so that others can benefit from it. So if you've never actually decided to follow Jesus, all of this might seem quite new to you. If you've never surrendered your heart and surrendered your life to God, you're not going to experience what we've been talking about today. And if that's you today, I just want to say this to you, is that Jesus came to this earth and he lived this life. He showed us that it was possible to live 
a certain way. He pointed to us living in a way that pleases God, but also a way that we were created for. But we couldn't do it. We couldn't live that life because of sin. And Jesus dying on the cross paid the price for your sin. It covered your sin completely. It wiped it away so that you could stand freely in God's presence, in God's sight. And know what Jesus knew. And what Jesus knew was this, that he was the son of the living God. That he was fearfully and wonderfully made. That he was loved completely, seen completely. And that he had a calling on his life. And that's what we want to, to know in our lives too, don't we? Who we are and what we're here for. Those two questions resonate all of the time within the whole of the world. Who am I and why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And so this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I would just encourage you to surrender your life. Uh, I'm going to do a little prayer in a minute or two's time. But one of the reasons why I'm talking about salvation, about why Jesus um, came to the cross and what he came to do, is that salvation reminds us, those of us that are followers of Jesus, that remember that we gave our lives to, to him at a particular point, is that we did what? We gave our life to him. We said, my life is a field. Will you come and sow the kingdom? Will you bring the kingdom in my life, in my heart, and through me? So um, John Wimber, he founded the Vineyard Movement that I was part of um, for a long time, said, the way in is the way on. We come to Jesus. We come to God through Jesus and what Jesus did at the cross. Not because we can do it ourselves. Like the rich man found out, you can't do it yourself. But the way on is you come to Jesus and you say, will you come and continue to bring change and transformation to me? Because I can't, um, I couldn't rescue myself and I can't change myself. I need you. So let's, let's pray. Uh, I'm going to do two prayers. If you have never given your life to Jesus before, you can pray along with this prayer with me. And then I'll pray another prayer um, before we end. Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you, that me ruling my own life causes mess and brokenness, and I need a rescuer. I need you, Jesus, to come and rescue me. Will you come right now and take over my life? Forgive my sin, Lord. I acknowledge that I sin all of the time, that I mess up all of the time, but I thank you that you cover my sin. Will you come and clothe me with your righteousness, with your goodness, God? Will you come and call me a child of God? Welcome me into your family. I give my life to you. Amen. And for all of us, let's pray, Lord. My life is a field. And some of it's a mess. I acknowledge, God, where parts of my life are hard and broken, where parts of my life are shallow and resistant to change, where there are things in my life that cause me to act and respond in fear and hurt and brokenness. And I invite you in, Jesus, to bring help and healing and wholeness to me. Will you come and have your way? 
Amen. So our service is officially over. I would love you, if you have kids, to go and get them from kids' ministry um, as quickly as you can. Um, if not, um, you're welcome to stick around, have a chat. If you would like prayer for any reason, anything that's going on in your life, please come up and see me afterwards. I'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, we'll hopefully see you on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting here at 8 p.m. Thank you.